Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, HCI Research Associate Dr. Leandra Hernandez and her colleagues continue their weekly COVID-19 convo via Facebook Live to discuss all things COVID-19 related. Yeah, it feels like it's been forever already, but I don't, I don't see it coming to an end anytime soon. Yeah, the no. beginning of what seems like forever, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, I mean, on the one hand, it is ending, right? I mean, I'm in a state that said, we're reopening. We've only got 45, 48 deaths a day, so let's just reopen. <laughs> um, on the other hand, I, I realistically don't see that happening soon um, at the workplace and so on. And I certainly don't see myself going into crowded restaurants at this point. Yeah. Yeah, they're reopening bars and restaurants on uh, tomorrow, actually here in Ohio. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, but I will not be going to them. I think outdoor, outdoor, outdoor seating opens tomorrow and then a week from tomorrow, indoor seating opens. I will be going. I just went to the grocery store today and was alarmed at how many people were just right next to each other, groups of adults shopping together, getting way too close to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't really like my full inner germ germaphobe came out and yeah. a little panicked. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people wearing masks, but like pulled down around their chins. Under their nose. <laughs> Under their nose. <laughs> Pulling them down to talk and then putting them back on. Again. <laughs> the whole point of wearing. Them. No, it's like just don't wear the mask if you're going to do that, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I guess wear the mask, but yeah, it was alarming. Yeah, oh. it's been interesting here in Utah. I feel like everyone. I mean, at least in in the Salt Lake Provo area, I feel like everyone has been really good about um, following a lot of the guidelines and the recommendations. Like even. Um, at the grocery store, I'd say the majority of folks were wearing masks mm -hmm. and, and yeah. following the spacing guidelines. So it's been um, really heartening to see that. Um, like yesterday, for example, our university's president had her uh, semester talk that she gives every every so few months. And um, some of the data that she presented said that I think the state of Utah has the second lowest mortality rate in the country so far. Wow. Um, yeah. And I mean, just kind of observing people when we've been going on hikes or just at the grocery store. I mean, even when we're in the outdoors, right, people are very good about staying very far away. So that's good news so far. Yeah, that's very good. I wonder um, to what extent the position of the LDS church is helping 
mm -hmm. um, within Utah, because I think the LDS Church has taken a pretty pro-science, sensible perspective on this, but I, I don't know very much about it. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Pam. I've been so blessed to talk to so many of my students over the last two semesters about the, the LDS faith and um, how a lot of their religious principles inform their public health practices, whether that means stocking up on materials beforehand or following really good preventative health measures. And I mean, I don't have any data on that, but mm -hmm. I think anecdotally, it's a very positive uh, factor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking of the kind of political polarization that we're seeing in some places. I mean, I went to the to the grocery the other day and most people were wearing masks and trying to be observant and follow the little arrows. And then there were a few people who were clearly militantly not wearing masks and walking the wrong way and getting close to people. And it was creepy actually, mm -hmm. but um, it was also clear that the employees were not gonna challenge them or, you know, a little afraid of what they would do. And these were not intimidating people. These were like middle-aged women, you know, white women, of course. Um, uh, but I mean, it wasn't like they were gun-toting or anything like that, but there was clearly a sense that, you know, the the employees didn't want to confront them. Yeah. Um, so, and and I, I do think that that has something to do with the, the news newscasters they're listening to and the media they're consuming that I think even, you know, in Utah is, is very conservative, but I don't think they consume that news in the same way. I think that's a great point. Definitely a great point, um, especially when we think about the reluctance to confront individuals who aren't following the, mm -hmm. the mask mandates and how um, in a few isolated cases that's resulted in violence, right? I mean, I, I was just reading about the case a few days ago where um, I believe an individual got shot in a, a gas station, I think, where um, he told the person coming in that they weren't allowed to enter without a mask. And then an outbreak happened. And, you know, it's it's definitely concerning when you think about the right that individuals feel to not wear the mask or not follow any of the mandates. Right. Right. Yeah. It's really frustrating to see that stuff on social media. Um, but, you know, it, what was encouraging is that I recently read an article, I think it was on CNN, that said that polls show that most people agree that we should be following these standards. Yeah. It's a small vocal minority, and it kind of gives you the sense that there are more people out there who think that than maybe there are. But of course, you've got a few really um, loud uh, media voices boosting that kind of behavior. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was interesting looking at the sort of the difference between, like you said, the sort of militantly anti-distancing people and then the people who were just sort of doing a bad job of it. Like, you know, and I was at the post office today picking up my mail, which has been held for the last two months. Yeah. Um, and the woman in front of me was signing. She was mailing packets. She signed the thing. You know, she touched the, like, console thing and the, the communal pen, you know, and then she had a mask on and then she was just talking to the the male employee and she just pulled down her glasses and started rubbing her eyes. Yeah. And I was like, you just touched the thing. You know, obviously I didn't say anything because it, it was just like a, she forgot, you know, but, <laughs> it's unconscious. Ah! but then there were also, there was one particular group of people at the grocery store that I was at today who were just, walking all it was a group of three adults shopping together um and 
kind of walking all around and taking up a whole aisle and getting really close to people and, yeah. you know, kind of clearly just kind of mocking everyone like right. me who had a mask on and was sort of kind of actively running away from them. <laughs> right. It's like physical trolling behavior. Yeah. It's just yeah. Like of online trolls. And now we're yeah. before. <laughs> Barrier, right? Because they're right there. So yeah, I they definitely were laughing at me as I sort of ran away from them. But they I felt like they were following me, you know, they were right yeah. behind me. I was like, no, get away, you know, like I'm saving part over here. But yeah. Well, Zoe Knudsen, if I'm getting that name right, says in the chat that on Kauai, you cannot enter a store without a mask. And they've had, I think Hawaii is, Hawaii has been handling it pretty well, generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I wish we could see more of that in Florida. I think there's still, there's a combination there, the, the trolls that you're talking about, the ones who mm -hmm. are sort of like militant about not wearing masks and, and kind of pushing other, other people's buttons. But there's also a lot of people who I think just don't understand. Yeah. Like, I'm not sick. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not afraid of getting it, you know, so they don't understand the whole, like I'm wearing a mask to protect myself, <laughs> to protect you, not myself. But yeah. I had a conversation with someone online the other day. She says, are you telling me that I'm supposed to wear a mask to protect other people in case I'm sick, even though I don't have symptoms? And I'm like, yeah. that is literally yeah. exactly yeah. the point. That is the part of the entire <laughs> issue. Yeah. I guess I sent her the CDC link. I copied the pertinent mm -hmm. text. Yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> it's kind of like with the. Oh, sorry, what'd you say? Leanne? Oh, I. Oh, I thought I thought it was Pam. Pam, were you saying something? Oh, yeah. I just said yeah, yeah. I was just finishing that story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the flu vaccine. You know, I think it's it's hard to convince people to get. The flu, the flu shot, if they think, well, I'm not worried about getting the flu, you know, like I'm fine, I'm healthy and young. It's like, well, this is something you do as part of a community to mm -hmm. kind of lower the incidence of flu across the whole community and, yeah. and reduce the risk for other people. But it's hard to get people to do those things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So... Laura presented a question that I think kind of gets at the heart of this, where she says, why do people put rights first instead of considering like health is the most um, pressing issue? And I know I say this every time, but I really do think it goes back to cultural values, right? Like when we think about um, individualist cultures, approaches to our own rights versus those of the society. Mm -hmm. And this also goes back directly to what Pam was mentioning, right? About how um, I think a lot of individuals don't even think about public health from the larger collective perspective. I mean, that kind of gets at the heart of, of the whole idea of wearing masks to prevent transmitting it to someone else, even if someone doesn't think they have it, you know? Mm -hmm. If it's for the, the greater good, as they say in one of my favorite movies, like I feel like if we kind of use that approach to like at a, a lower level, maybe not so much a public health mandate perspective, but even just talking about um, your health and your conversations with your doctor, right? Like what would that look like if we frame that more collectively to start changing those health behaviors at that more micro level? Right, right. People understand it, you know, um, or, or better came to understand it when, when smoking 
became a, con a, a topic of conversation when it became secondhand smoke, you know, because yeah. everybody was like, I have the right to smoke. It's mm -hmm. my health. It's my life. It, it is, of course, it's a collective cost for mm -hmm. those, who treat, you know, because treatment, you know, is, is expensive and, and we pay that in increased premiums and, and, right. and so on. Yeah. But, um, but when people started talking about secondhand smoke, then it became more like, okay, so if I'm smoking in my home, my children are affected. And yeah. you know, people started to understand that a little bit better. Um, but it's still that, you know, that idea of, oh, it's me and my children. I don't want to endanger my children rather than, you know, you owe something to society mm -hmm. um, that we, there are things that we do that we do for everyone. Um, and it's not just, you know, you're not just a, an, an island, an atom floating yeah. in space with no impact on anyone else. Um, we all rely on public goods all the time. Um, yeah. We rely on roads, you know, we want there to be roads. We want there to be bridges that don't fall down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and public health is one of those public goods. Yeah, so y'all know I'm I'm into pop culture, right? I like following it, I like teaching it and talking about it. And just yesterday I was rewatching Glow because I love wrestling and it's one of my favorite series on Netflix. And in one of the episodes where the whole team is in the hospital, uh, the doctor is in the room smoking, right? And it's set in the early, um, set in the early eighties. And I told my husband, I was like, wow, this, you know, friendly reminder, like back in the day, you could actually smoke in the hospital or you could smoke at restaurants. And Pam, when you um, brought up your point earlier, that's exactly what I thought of, like framing the whole secondhand smoking thing. Cause I remember um, in Texas, like more specifically in Houston, at least when the mandate came out that you couldn't smoke at all, in restaurants inside on the patio period, people flipped, yeah. right? And um, yeah, I just think it, it's a really interesting parallel from a public health perspective to think about like rights in that context versus rights in, in COVID and then how legally or institutionally that starts impacting other sectors and other mm -hmm. industries, right? Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Yeah. yeah. And even your, I mean, when we think about rights, we can, you know, a lot of people are saying, I have a right to do this or do that, to go out, to have my business open, you know, these mm -hmm. rights. But then you can also frame that conversation in terms of what are your rights to health as a citizen? You know, like, do I have a right to not have somebody breathe smoke in my face, right? Like, you know, what are, like, those go both ways. Um, or like, do you know whose rights get prioritized over other rights? <laughs> like, do right. meat packing plant workers have a right to stay home and get paid, you know, while they get paid to quarantine, basically? Um, or do they not have those rights because I have a right to have a hamburger, right? Like, what's the. Um, and where does it end, right? Because it, it just snowballs. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I mean, there are certain things that we take for granted. Like I said, public roads are a public good and you can't go out with a jackhammer and destroy a road. Right. Um, that would be a crime. Yeah. Um, we all agree as a society that people should wear pants and everybody wears pants and nobody says, or almost nobody says, you know, you are oppressing me and this is unconstitutional and I'm 
I'm going to run naked through the streets. But the mask suddenly is not like pants. And, and we're not sure why it's not like pants, but it's just not. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it reminds me really of the 19th century where you have the birth of public health as people started to understand that, you know, um, health wasn't just a matter of individual choices or individuals having something going wrong with their body, that there were these infectious agents out there and that your actions could affect other people and vice versa, mm -hmm. and that things could be transmitted through the water. And so you started having, oh, okay, well then, so I don't, so then, so then it, it's a, it's a harm to me if someone pollutes the water Mm -hmm. up river. And that was a kind of new, you know, amazing mm -hmm. thing. Um, but we're not as good getting away from non-infectious diseases. First of all, we still tend to think of cancer as really, that's an individual problem, not a public health problem. Right. Not an environmental concern by any means. Right. 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 Or, or mental health or what have you. But here's, a, here's an instance. I mean, this is sort of made for public health, right? It's an infectious mm -hmm. virus you know, it's very infectious. It, it's it's squarely in that like, in that bailiwick of public health. And yet we're seeing all of these kinds of responses. I mean, the demonization of doctors, the demonization of outgroups that we've seen since time immemorial when the science didn't exist and people really didn't understand why these things were happening. Now yeah. we understand it, but we're still going through the same narratives like it's 1385. <laughs> <laughs> like that could be a song lyric. Yeah. <laughs> Candido has a great question. Candida, it's so great to hear from you and to see you even if only in a technological e-context. So Candida's question says, the goal in the beginning was to flatten the curve and to make sure that hospitals were not overwhelmed, right? And the closure was to help with that. And now that hospitals are not overwhelmed for the most part and are able to handle the cases, uh, we're starting to see a lot of media outlets say that there's going to be a lockdown until we have a vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, the flu shot doesn't eliminate the flu, but it helps, right? And we can also have a really productive conversation about the role of vaccines and how long they take, right? Um, so Candida's question is this, are we at the point now where we as a society are doing more harm than good with the closures, right? And some of the broader implications of that so yeah what do you what do y'all think vaccines closures jen do you want to leave right <laughs> i was just gonna say i don't think that there will be i don't know you know what this is particularly in response to but i don't think that there's going to be a lockdown or that i mean here in ohio we're already opening up so like there's not a lockdown anymore um until a vaccine eradicates the virus i just don't think I don't think that's going to happen anywhere. I think it's going to be more a matter of like control and mitigation and being careful. So, I mean, that was just my, I, that was just what I was responding to is I don't, I haven't heard anywhere anyone advocating for a total lockdown until a vaccine arises. And I, I agree that that's not uh, feasible for, because it could be a year, it could be a year and a half. I mean, we can't, no, I don't think anyone's really super advocating for that. Well, we're gonna Florida's Florida's opening up. Um, I, I believe we will probably be forced to um, to 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 withdraw from that. I believe we're going to see cases go up, and we're going yeah. to to have to withdraw from that a little bit. But I mean, certainly, we're not going to go to lockdown. I think the the idea was lockdown to break 
the curve to right. get the, the R naught under one, right? So mm -hmm. that each person is infecting less than one other person or only one other person. Right. Get people to wear masks for the same reason, um, yeah. but also to put into place testing and contact tracing so that if you reopen, it's whack-a-mole, right? You reopen so that mm -hmm. most things can kind of function, but then one person gets sick and you're like, okay, we found you, we tested you, we know you have it, who have you been in touch with? Okay, those people need to know so that they don't spread the virus. Yeah. So we're gonna find those people and tell them and find out who they've been in touch with and see if those people get sick. And if they do, then we know, okay, now we have an outbreak. But people who are not sick can continue to go about their business. And you're absolutely right. We needed to like, you know, tamp it down in part so that we could get the hospitals. First of all, they could ramp up their ICU capacity, but also so that they weren't overwhelmed. And we've achieved that. But if we don't do testing and tracing, we're just going to see lots more little bumps. Yeah. And, and I think we are going to see lots more little bumps. I think it just that is what's going to happen. Right. Like even it's just going to be a long process of kind of managing and like you said, whack-a-mole and yeah. figuring out, I mean, it's a, it's a big risk management puzzle, right? What is, how do we decide what is worth taking a risk for? Um, what's too risky, how to minimize the risk when we do things, um, you know, and I think, and this is the thing that for me has been kind of stressful of reason that I've started to realize, I think probably belatedly, is that this is going to be what's going to happen for a while until we do have a vaccine and can really attack it at that level and really minimize the spread. I mean, yeah. the good news is we're learning so much so fast about mm -hmm. this disease that, you know, for every month that people don't get infected and don't get sick, they're that much more likely to get really good care that actually right. keeps them from getting more sick. Right. Yeah. And we know so much more than we did even a few months ago. Yeah. Just, oh my God, oxygen deprivation put everybody on a ventilator. Oh, well, wait, ventilators are actually doing more harm than good in some cases. So now, yeah. you know, now give give supportive oxygen, but maybe don't go all the way to the ventilator until you have to. So, you know, the learning curve has been straight up. But you know, for everyone who we delay getting sick, even if they get sick down the line, the care that they get is going to be so much better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. More likely to survive. Yeah. And I, I have two thoughts to that, too, just more generally. So, Jen, your statement earlier about how everything is risk management, like I'm, I'm thinking about this not only as um, it impacting local industries and small businesses and hospitals, but also how it's impacting academia, right? As um, like larger university um, institutions are thinking about whether or not they're going to be online in the fall, whether or not they're going to be online in the spring. And um, what that looks like from a risk management perspective on the back end as we're getting new updates about COVID like literally every day, right? And mm -hmm. we're trying to make sense of what it's going to look like in a year. Um, Amy has an excellent statement here. Amy, we always love to hear what you think as well. Amy says, I'm a cancer researcher funded by the government agency NIEHS, National Institute of Environmental Health. Um, so she disagrees a bit. And Amy, if with you're with with um well i think what with what we were talking about with not viewing cancer as an environmental or like a population-wide kind of 
uh, problem, right? Yeah. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean that the that the government agency didn't view it that way. I just meant that the people in that ordinary people still mm -hmm. tend to think of it as an individual problem rather than a rather than a public health issue. But but maybe that is changing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, I was just going to, um, I'll just plug a podcast that I keep listening to, um, which is called This Week in Virology. Um, and they keep having visits from Daniel Griffin, who I believe is the head of the emergency department at a hospital in Brooklyn. And um, he is giving updates, like weekly updates about the clinical care and what they, you know, kind of the consensus about what is the best clinical care. Um, and it, it has been really heartening and really cool to hear the progress that they're making as they figure out, you know, just as they see more cases and they figure out more of how to deal with this. So I think you're absolutely right, um, you know, that the curve is going, that curve <laughs> um, of knowledge is going up exponentially and, and we're figuring out and doctors and experts are figuring out like what to do um, and, you know, care outcomes are going to improve as that happens. And then that releases that, you know, eases some of the load on the hospitals. And so that's all good news. Yeah. 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 So um, environmental issues, uh, environmental causes of cancer are a public health issue or should be a public health issue. Um, and of course, we know that many cancers are caused by viruses now. Um, for example, um, you know, cervical cancer. So, you know, and now there's a vaccine and it's also about educating people about the vaccine. Um, so yeah, these are, these are, these definitely should be public health issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and Amy's saying she speaks about the environmental effects of cancer throughout her community and via the city's public library, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I wish that we could just, I wish we had some kind of function where we could just, I know. <laughs> and she could say it, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's really cool. Um, well, maybe, maybe she can come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Awesome. How, how are things, are things open for you, Leanne? Are things um, in Utah? Yeah, so um, it was kind of similar seeing the parallels between Texas reopening and Utah reopening. It was on the same day, actually. So um, kind of the idea of things opening up in waves, you know, 25% different phases. Um, so certain industries are opening up, but not to full capacity. And, you know, like restaurants and things of that nature, uh, climbing, y'all know I climb, right? So the climbing gyms are starting to open back up, but I haven't been yet. And I don't know when I'm going to go because I don't know, it, it kind of goes back to the first point we had earlier in the beginning where, you know, people aren't following the rules and they get too close to you and you get a little spooked. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that, that residual fear, right? I mean, these are all of my friends that I've hung out with for the past year, but I don't know, it kind of makes everything that felt so normal, you know, um, every everything that was part of your normal life, now you go outside and you're just kind of like, well, should I be here? Do I wanna be here? How long should I wait? Um, so yeah, long story short, things are starting to open up in small phases, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, we went to, uh, we. In the, the, it's a big state and so, you know, people are doing different things in different places, but we went to like, 25% of restaurants and then, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. opening. 
And now they're saying, okay, well, you know, it's been days, so let's go to 50%. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're just doing it all in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, going for it. What we should be doing is like waiting to see if the numbers go up. And of course, to wait to see if the numbers meaningfully go up, you have to wait a few weeks. Right. But in fact, nobody's doing that. And they will go up. I mean, our numbers never really went down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. Ours are still going up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and of course, it varies very, you know, Miami has big numbers and they actually may have bent the curve, but in the more rural areas, it's been steady and steadily mm -hmm. increasing, not exponentially, but just kind of on a steady rising arc. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I keep feeling a lot of, I've just been thinking a lot about the differential ways that this is impacting people and the way that I, in my, because of my job and where I live and stuff, I have the ability to just stay home. You know, I got really freaked out at the grocery store and felt, you know, like this is too close. Nobody is, is paying attention, <laughs> um, you know, and oh, uh oh, nope, we lost Leon. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you know, I but I have the ability to just stay home and not go back to the grocery store for a while and not go to anything. And you know, just thinking about the workers at the grocery store and the people for whom who who don't have the option really yeah. um, about whether to go out and and thinking about that. Yeah. More comments. Yeah. Oh, that's a question for Leanne, and she just yeah. appeared. I was going to say earlier that she felt that most people were most people were yeah. using common sense and using a mask in Utah. Yeah. Um, Canada asked, "Do you think there should be mandatory testing, and why?" Um, I I I don't know yet exactly what I think about that. I mean, I certainly think that there should be widespread testing, mm -hmm. um, but. I don't know how if because we have so many tests that are some are more effective than others and it's hard to tell. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what it would mean to have mandatory testing or how useful yeah. it would be and whether that should I mean, first of all, we don't have the reagents, we don't have the supplies to do mandatory testing of right. everything. We just don't. Yeah. So and how often would you do it? But certainly for some industries, certainly mandatory testing of anyone who's been exposed and knows they've been exposed should before they're allowed to go back to work should be, um, I think, a requirement. But um, yeah, uh, that question was from Mrs. Yeah. Hernandez. Where is she at? I don't know. Oh, I know she just disappeared. <laughs> Um, lost her internet connection or something. Yeah. Oh, Leah, message the group. Here we go. Um, trying to come back. Carrie Kay, do you have to let me back in? So she's trying to come back. Okay. Um, what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully yeah. the internet cut out. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure about the testing. I mean, it's so, it's another one of these communications challenges because, um, you know, when you do testing, there are always going to be false negatives and false positives mm -hmm. and different tests have different rates of those. And some of them have a really high false positive rate and some of them have a real, you know, that are less sensitive will have false negatives. And so I, I wouldn't want us to be in a situation where, you know, I mean, people have talked about like the immunity passports, which I think there's the reasons why that, might be bad are obvious, but you know, there are lots of reasons why that might be bad. But one is that we don't, 
know, you know, for certain if somebody is, is, um, immune just because they've had a, a positive result on a test. Right. There was a report just uh, last night in Los Angeles of a, or yesterday in Los Angeles of a woman who recovered and is now back with it. And it's, it's of course, hard to tell whether she was completely recovered, whether this right. is flaring up of an existing, but right. we don't know. And, and as we were saying last week, the military is refusing to take people who've been hospitalized with COVID and explicitly have said that part of that is that they don't know if it makes them more vulnerable to future infections right. to have had it once. I know that's the case with, um, well, I don't know that that's the case. I understand that it's the case with dengue, for example, that if you get one kind and you get, and you get a second type, yeah. you can be much sicker yeah. than someone who's never had it. So I don't know if that's what the military is thinking. I have no idea what they're thinking. I think actually they haven't decided on that policy yet. Um, there's some debate within the, um, yeah, my my father who works at the Pentagon was very surprised to see that on the news. So he's like, that's right. not been decided yet. So I think there's still a debate about like how that's gonna work out. But I, yeah, mm -hmm. it's true, it's it's complicated. I mean, I think for sure the more, more testing gives us more information and more information is great. Mm -hmm. um, but we still have, it's we're still gonna have to do so many of the things that, um, that we've already been doing to kind of minimize it. Plus we don't know, you know, you could get tested. It's not like a one-off thing. Like I could get tested today and, and then I could go to the grocery store tomorrow, get infected. And then, you know, if I say, oh, I had a, you know, a, a negative test, it's like, well, you could still be positive, right? Just because you tested negative one day, so. Um, yeah, as, as we've seen happen. Um, yeah. Uh, it looks like, it looks like we're trying, we're trying to get Leon on. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, Daniel is trying to get her, uh, back into the room, but, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, so we, we really, we don't know exactly. Uh, Amy says the antibody load is low and isn't expected to last lifelong. But there are no true cases of yeah. second exposures yet. Yeah. Amy, we've got to get you on here. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think. I heard the same thing that in cases where it appeared to be a reinfection. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. It's way harder to get back in here than I thought it would be. <laughs> but yeah, I was just, uh, just to finish that sentence. I think the, um, you know, in cases where there appeared to still be, um, where there appeared to be something like a reinfection, it was actually just viral RNA still present, which doesn't mean well. Um, but this was a rehospitalization for oh, some. Oh yeah, in that, oh, I was thinking of a different another case. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there have been cases where been declared recovered, and then um, this this was in Los Angeles, a, a woman who was rehospitalized who got. Yeah. So um, that was the headline was that this was a second infection. Mm -hmm. um, it's again, I, I'm not right. sure, you know, did the viral load drop so much that they didn't see it on the test and then it spiked again, you know. Right, or could it have been a false false negative or something, right? Like we don't, yeah, so. Yeah. Right, but we are seeing a lot of weird sequelae um, out of this virus. Oh, um, yeah. uh, now, of course, the children uh, with something like Kawasaki's is getting a lot of um, 
attention. So the thing is, there's just, there's so much we don't know yet and we're learning every day. And the great thing is that everybody's focused on learning that information, but um, the not so great thing is that we don't really know what the risks are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Laura says, uh, how can we say that we flattened the curve if there were 1200 deaths yesterday, a very abnormal normality? People are losing sensitivity and that's sad. And I think that that is true. We really are, um, it frightens me that we're starting to think of these numbers as well, you know, that's just in the noise, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that will change as more people know someone personally. Um, but it is, it is really frightening that we're starting to see this as, as uh, normal. But look at what ha has happened with gun violence. I mean, I can tell you that when I was in my thirties, <laughs> just a while ago, uh, no one would have tolerated this level of gun violence. A school shooting was like, people would talk about it for months. It was a huge tragedy, everybody mobilized. Now there's a school shooting, well, not now because we're under a lockdown, but um, or, or, or modified lockdown. But you know, now there's a school shooting practically every day. Um, so yeah, so people yeah. Can, can get used to tolerating pretty high pretty high numbers of things that we shouldn't be tolerating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think I'm, I think yeah, I'm frozen. Okay. <laughs> the whole screen has gone black, but I can still hear you guys. <laughs> yeah. I can hear you. It's just your, uh, your camera froze. Okay. Well, I was just, I yep. And oh. I'm losing battery and I can stay on, but I need to get my, my cord. So I will leave you on alone for a minute. <laughs> Leave me all alone. Go team. Amy, when are we going to have you join us? That would be so much fun. Also, because I haven't seen you in like 12 years, which is wild. Um, Lauda, I think your point is spot on. And I think it speaks a lot to how culturally I think we have become more desensitized to a lot of these things over the last several years with the increase in um, gun violence, more specifically violence, more generally and also the number of deaths we're starting to see from this particular pandemic. Um, yeah, I think being desensitized to what we see in the media and also just kind of becoming desensitized to things more broadly um, for some could be a distancing mechanism. Uh, your Pam's back. It, it could also be a coping mechanism too. Um, let's see. So we got Jen says, okay, now her computer's frozen. Today is the day of technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we were actually pretty close to our time, but, um, yeah, what do we, what do we do about this, um, this new, this idea that maybe it's fine to lose 1200 people a day? <sighs> I don't know. I, I think about how people make sense of that um, from a utilitarian perspective. I think about how people make sense of it from a, a coping perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think phrasing it as the abnormal new normal is is kind of the, the reigning framework to think about it. And personally, I try to not be super pessimistic or mm -hmm. desensitize to a lot of these things. But as a health and media comm person, it's hard for me not to be. So, uh, yeah, I feel like my perspective on that kind of shifts and ebbs and flows depending on what the week is presenting us with. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that's true. Um, you can certainly see that there's a kind of rhetorical shift, um, you know, a political rhetorical shift to, you know, we're warriors for the economy kind of stuff. Um, you know, the Lieutenant Governor of Texas saying that, um, you know, people over a certain age would certainly be willing to give up their lives for oh, yeah. the American value of the open economy. Um, that seems to me to be a false dichotomy. I mean, I think there are ways to to do both. Other countries are managing it, um, yeah. but yeah, I can't. So, Candida, your your point about the media, which is something we've been talking about this entire spring semester. Uh, Candida was one of the brilliant minds in media ethics with me this semester. So we had lots of amazing conversations, um, and y'all know I always think on the one hand the media is an easy scapegoat for right. lots of societal ills, but then on the other hand. I think that there are certain news outlets and certain kind of journalistic trends that don't really make the case easier for themselves, right? So right. Um, I would argue that um, from the point of view of the media overanalyzing or overstimulating with dramatic reporting, whether that be to like gain likes, to gain um, social media trends, or even just more generally kind of from an ideological perspective, um, I do think that there are certain outlets that are not covering COVID in the most effective way, particularly mm -hmm. when we think about um, information literacy and science literacy mm -hmm. and, you know, the viewers who are just inundated with messages all day, every day. Yeah. We should talk about that more next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with the, the, the thought that uh, Fox News, which is urging everyone to get out and restart the economy, has extended their own shelter at home orders until uh, mid-June. <laughs> so <laughs> you should get out and stimulate the economy, but they're not going to. <laughs> right. It's a whole, uh, like, and, and the, the covering versus the personal individual, like intra-institutional mandates, whole other story, right? Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for hosting this time, Leanne. And I'm sorry we lost Jen and we lost you, but we, but we, got, we got through it. And it was, it was always fun and, uh, and really interesting to talk through these things. Yeah, I want to point to Jen's comment just real quick, where she says, I think it's hard for people to conceptualize 1,200 deaths a day. Yeah. Um, it's hard to mourn in mass and it's easier to just call it normal, shut it out or imagine it's a big hoax. Jen, I think you're spot on with that. It's it's a coping mechanism to a certain degree, right? Yeah. Right, right, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that that question of scale, it's, it's 1,200 people, it's too huge. We, we don't know them, or not everyone knows them. Um, and it's too easy to just think, okay, that's, that's too big a problem for me to like take into my head, you know? Um, yeah. But eventually everyone's gonna know someone. Right. Right. So, well, All right, everyone. Next Thursday. Next Thursday, and hopefully Thursday. we'll all have great Wi-Fi connections. I know, right? Stay <laughs> happy and healthy, everyone. We'll see you then. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.